I thought today I would uh, share a promise from uh, that uh, passage of Scripture that uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says is the high point of Scripture, the mountain peak of Scripture. If all the Bible was considered uh, to be a mountain, uh, this commentator says that this is, would be the peak of the mountain. Does anybody remember what verse of Scripture that was? Do you remember Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19? Uh, I find in that one of the greatest promises in all the Word of God. Let's turn there quickly. We'll, we'll just look at our promise quickly, and then we'll go on to something else here. But Ephesians chapter 3, come down to verse 14. I see a magnificent promise here in the Word of God. Uh, maybe the most magnificent promise in all the word, in all the scriptures. But Ephesians 3, 14 says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. There is a sense in which we need nothing more than the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And once we've been strengthened with might by His Holy Spirit, then the Word of God, I think, is promising some tremendous consequences. What is the result of, being, of having your heart strengthened, having your spirit strengthened by the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit? Look at the results or look at the consequences of being a Spirit-filled Christian. And we see that beginning in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. What that means is my trust in God activates the power of God. Paul says, I, this, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I need to live a constant life of simply trusting the Lord. And there's something about this constant trust in the Lord activates the power of God in my life. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. This is all the result. Now the consequence of being a spirit-filled Christian. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height of the love of God. And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. The idea there in the Greek, be filled to the very brim with God. I want to be filled to the brim with God, don't you? But what a promise down to him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. How we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, I think that's a magnificent promise, don't you? To be, uh, the, the consequences, the result of being a spirit-filled Christian. Let's come to, our, to, the, gospel, uh, to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 6 now. We're looking here at uh, the great story uh, of Daniel in the lion's den. And uh, let's look at the ver uh, first verse. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Now, look up here just a second. Nowhere in uh, history do we see this name ever mentioned anywhere. Nowhere on any writing or anything uh, like that. So uh, the liberals love this because this is, gives them an excuse to say, well, the book of Daniel is really just history. It's not really prophecy. Uh, Daniel lived in the second century B.C. He didn't live, uh, he didn't die, he didn't live in the sixth century. So what he wrote was history and not prophecy. And uh, we see, uh, they say this is one of these proofs that this is not uh, 
an God-inspired book, this is an error. Because nowhere in history do we find this man's name mentioned. Well, there's some, some uh, debate over this. Probably what this is, is this is probably a, uh, a co-regent or somebody that Cyrus appointed to be king over the region of Babylon. And so he's uh, sort of a co-regent, but under the authority of Cyrus. The word of God talks about Darius the Mede from the Median kingdom, then talks about Cyrus the, uh, the Persian. So the word of God does seem to make a distinction between these two. But... Uh, this view was held by uh, like John Whitcomb, a professor at Grace, and then uh, Robert Dick Wilson uh, also holds this view, some of these famous Bible scholars. Uh, Robert Dick Wilson <laughs> spoke 45 different languages. Can you imagine a man knowing 45 languages? He, was, uh, he, uh, <coughs> he uh, left uh, Princeton to go with, uh, to start Westminster Theological Seminary, which I would not recommend today, but anyhow, um, Robert Dick Wilson uh, was a genius, an Old Testament scholar, and I would tend to follow his thinking, his research. But uh, Robert Dick Wilson once made the statement, he said, no man is smart enough to criticize the Bible. Isn't that a magnificent statement? I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I, I, I couldn't criticize the Bible. I wouldn't know what to do. And uh, Robert Dick Wilson said he wasn't smart enough either, a man that mastered 45 languages. But anyhow... So probably this is probably a ruler under Cyrus, to make a long story short, all right? Some people think, and good, some good scholars think, that Darius is another name for Cyrus. We know some of these uh, uh, men in the ancient world had these kings would have two different names. So that's a possibility. But I tend to go with this idea here, all right? Let's look at, uh, look at our chapter. It says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Now, here's an argument that Darius is the same as Cyrus. It looks like he's setting up and organizing the whole uh, Persian empire. And so, uh, but this could be a, a, uh, maybe uh, something delegated from Cyrus to Darius. We don't know. But, and it's not important in the end, one way or the other. But it, uh, anyhow, and over these three presidents, he's really dividing the whole empire up into into three divisions of 40 each. And he sets a, what they call a president over each of those 40 divisions. And then the emperor will be over the whole empire. So that over these three presidents who will be over 40 divisions within the empire, Daniel was first that the princes might give accounts unto them and the king should have no damage. So uh, Darius is organizing the empire and do 120 divisions, and he'll divide the, those up into three divisions of 40 each and appoint a president over each of those. He's simply delegating power. <laughs> so then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents <laughs> and princes. Now this was, remember, this is a slave that's been brought from Judea. And so uh, no doubt he incites real jealousy. And uh, these, uh, we're going to see that it's probably jealousy that's going to drive these men to try to destroy Daniel. But it says, then, uh, said, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because of an excellent spirit. Uh, this is mentioned of Daniel several times, that he has an excellent spirit. <laughs> He's a godly, God-filled man. And... Uh, uh, it's, he has a powerful, powerful influence, but he has an excellent spirit. 
And the king thought to set him over the whole realm, thought to make him number two in the whole kingdom. You know, it's very, very important, is it not, that we as God's people, when we work for somebody, we are to, first of all, have a great attitude. And uh, the uh, idea is, look, uh, God has placed me in this place. I need to help make this company prosperous. I want to do all I good for my boss. I want to have the right attitude toward my boss. Um, I had a friend that lost his testimony because the boss called him complaining one time. <laughs> I had a, a job evaluation some time back and uh, about the only compliment they gave me, they said, I, I never complain. <laughs> well, I thought that was very high praise. I don't know about anything else, but at least they thought I didn't complain. So, But verse four says, and then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel. Now, we don't know what motivated these men, but they resented Daniel. Uh, they evidently hated Daniel. They're trying to destroy him. And uh, so uh, they come to the king, and here's, here's their plot to destroy Daniel. So then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find, could not uh, find, they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful he was dependable. He was reliable. One of the greatest qualities of life we can have, uh, one of the greatest qualities of the employee is they're dependable. They're faithful. You can depend on them. You can count on them. You can count on them to get to work on time. Count on them to carry out the responsibilities. Uh, count, on their, count on them to have, to, to have a good attitude about things. It's amazing the impact and testimony you can have, but just have to be a good employee. <laughs> You know, God's the people should never be accused of laziness, uh, never should be accused of complaining, finding fault, being unreliable, undependable, not ever getting to work on time. We ought to be there on time and do what we're told to do, have a good attitude. Uh, we're to honor those in authority. And you know, a lot of times you'll work for people that are a lot dumber than you are and, uh, and incompetent. But we're to always honor them, treat them with respect, and do what we're told to do, have a good attitude. Uh, you, uh, you can have a tremendous testimony by simply being a good, faithful employee. But we ought to try to bless and be a blessing and, and do everything we can to make that company or that business we work for to be successful. I think it's very, very important to your testimony. But uh, they couldn't find any fault. Daniel had been honest. They couldn't find out where he was guilty of any theft or pilfering from the king. He had been honest, he had been dependable, he had been reliable. He must have been very, very efficient. You remember now he survived. He, they made him a, a ruler in the Babylonian kingdom under Nebuchadnezzar. But then he survived into the uh, empire of uh, the Persian empire under Cyrus. So he must have had a magnificent reputation. He had an excellent spirit, but a great reputation for confidence and wisdom and discernment and good judgment about things. And his testimony was such that he was actually made high up in the kingdom in the, uh, under Cyrus as well as under Nebuchadnezzar. But he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. I want you to see what a, a sparkling testimony he has before these pagans. It is possible for God's people to live 
godly and honestly and uncompromisingly in a fallen pagan world, is it not? Look at, look at verse uh, 6. It says, Then these presidents and princes assembled together, probably just a handful of representatives, and claiming to represent all the uh, rulers in the whole kingdom and those in places of uh, political office, political power. It said, And all the presidents of the kingdom... Verse 6, then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute. Now they're claiming to speak for everybody in the kingdom, which is probably doubtful that it was everybody, but they're claiming to speak for everyone. And to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. So it was a tradition in the Persian empire that once a king or anybody wrote the law, now, that law could not be changed. So even the emperor was under the law. Uh, he could not himself violate the law. Now, remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the law. You remember in that statue, you had the, uh, uh, the that statue, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And then the Medo-Persian empire was silver. Then the Greek empire was brass. And then Rome was a combination of iron and clay. And it seems like those metals deteriorate, degrade in their value and in their strength. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was uh, above the law, was he not? Darius was under the law. So you see in, the, in those succeeding kingdoms, those four kingdoms, a deterioration, I think, in the centrality of power and in the value of the metal, implying that each of those kingdoms were great and broad, but of less uh, internal strength and so on. We don't know exactly why, uh, these metals are used to identify these empires. That's perhaps one of them, that uh, each empire was less centrally organized and each emperor had, in one sense, a little bit less power than the preceding emperor over their uh, empires. But uh, uh, verse 8, And now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which ordereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Uh, perhaps his ego being flattered, we don't know. But he thought that was actually a very good idea. And so he signed this decree that nobody could appeal to any god uh, except to Darius. And there's some debate now that all these uh, emperors saw themselves as God, being substitutes for God. And, uh, but uh, the decree was that nobody could pray to their God and appeal to their God for 30 days. Any appeal that was made had to be made to Darius. And so this was basically the nature of the decree. And these men knew, uh, by, by the way, Daniel had such an outstanding public testimony. They knew that Darius or that uh, Daniel could not violate, uh, could violate this law because of his religion. So they knew this was a, a good way to set up Daniel and destroy him because they knew that he would not compromise. Isn't that wonderful to have such a testimony that he knew that he would not compromise his religion, compromise his God? 
Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house. Now remember, he's going to, he's going to shut the windows and pull all the curtains and to make sure nobody knows he's violating this law, right? <laughs> no, just the opposite. By the way, here's a, let, let's see what he does. Look at verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, his windows being open, and, he went, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. You remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, they prayed towards Jerusalem and so on. So he's no doubt going by that precedent. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day. That's not a bad habit, is it? Daniel in 55 verse 17 says, I pray morning and noon and afternoon. Pray three times a day. Uh, that'll, that'll, that's, uh, that'll do something for you spiritually, but that's, kind of, that's not the point we need to make here today. But pray three times a day and prayed and uh, three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before the Lord his God as he did aforetime. Here we see a tremendous habit, a pattern of uh, praying three times a day, praying on his knees, uh, getting, no wonder this man had an excellent spirit. This was a God-controlled, a God-filled man, was it not? And God blessed that and blessed his testimony. But uh, here we see that he had a bold, uncompromising testimony. And by the way, this is very important too. He was violating the law. Was he not? Was Daniel not violating the law here? He certainly was. It was a decree passed and signed with the emperor himself, King Darius. And uh, God's people have every right. In fact, they have a duty to disobey the law when the law is written contrary to the word of God, when the law tries to make you sin. In China, they passed a law that every child ought to be aborted but one. I think they've backed off from that now, but uh, should you as a Christian then abort your child because living in China, you had to obey the law? No. Uh, Peter said it best there in uh, chapter 5, I believe about verse 29, I believe it is. We ought to obey God rather than men, right? <laughs> they passed a law. You're not to be preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Peter said, well, we're going to preach and teach in the name of Jesus because we've been commanded to teach in the name of Jesus and we're going to violate the law if we have to. Do you remember when Paul was thrown in jail there in, um, where was it, in Lystra, I believe it was? And uh, they, uh, they beat him and so on. Then they found out Paul was a Roman citizen. He stood on his constitutional rights. He says, you've beaten me illegally. You have no right to beat a Roman citizen. And he scared him to death. He said, now look, Paul, we, have, we, we kind of apologize. And if you'll just sort of slip on out the back door, we won't say anything about it. And we don't want you to say anything either. Paul says, no, I'm going to leave through the front door. You violated the law and uh, you're going to answer for it. There's nothing wrong with disobeying government when they clearly are trying to get you to disobey the scriptures, disobey the word of God. But uh, anyhow, Daniel took his stand and he had such an outstanding testimony they knew that he was not going to compromise. They knew what he was happening. They knew how many times a day he prayed. That's a wonderful testimony. I'll never forget to, when, uh, remember when Jimmy Carter ran again on the, on the Born Again platform? Do you remember that? Of course, all the reporters had to run to the dictionary to see what the Born Again meant. And, uh, and uh, they asked his brother Billy, he said, what do you think about your brother Jimmy running on the Born Again platform? And Jimmy's own brother Billy said, well, I didn't know he was a Christian until I read it in the paper. 
Now, I hope they don't have to read about your testimony <laughs> and, the, and to find out you're a Christian to, to read in the paper, don't you? <laughs> but anyhow, here we have, uh, he has an outstanding testimony. And verse 11 says, Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then the king came near and spake before the, uh, then the, then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed the decree? I'm trying to remind him now what he's done. That every man that shall ask a petition of any God or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that, that, da that Daniel, uh, if you, you can see in this very much of a spirit of contempt for Daniel. Can you not see this? That Daniel, <laughs> uh, that Jew, that slave, that's a Nebuchadnezzar and uh, his armies carried into uh, Israel or into uh, Babylon. Then answered they and said before the king, that Daniel which is of the children of the captivity of Judah. Did he need to be reminded of that? What's he trying to remind him of? These are, these are contemptuous people. These are slaves. Uh, and the, regardeth not thee. He's disrespecting thee. O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. He's still praying. He's violating your law. He's uh, disrespecting you. He's holding you and your law in contempt. And uh, what are you going to do about it? That's basically what they're doing here. Look at verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. What was Nebuchadnezzar's response when he found out that the three Hebrew children uh, were, were refusing to obey his law and sort of disrespect him in one sense. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's reaction? <laughs> yeah, he got very angry, did he not? It's interesting how Darius has a totally different response. Uh, I'm wondering if Darius not became a, became a regenerate man. We'll see, uh, I think, some clues of this a little bit later on. But look at this, all right? <laughs> but he basically, he, he, he basically uh, chastises himself. So I've been a fool. <laughs> I've been taken advantage of. And I shouldn't, uh, th this is a great mistake, but it shows the tremendous regard and respect that he had for Daniel. And look at his, uh, in verse uh, 6, uh, verse 6, uh, verse 16. It says, Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, now look at this, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Sounds like uh, Darius has faith in the God of Daniel, doesn't it? And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and the signet of the Lord's, that the, bat, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Okay, he has, he, he, he's below the law. He has nothing he can do to change that law. Verse 18, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Isn't that, isn't that right? He's fasting. <laughs> I think suggesting a spiritual exercise here, burdened for Daniel. Neither 
were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Do you remember another time when a ruler couldn't sleep? <laughs> remember there in the book of Esther? Again, in this, in this wonderful book, do you not see the wonderful providence of God? Now, I don't believe in what the theologians call absolute double predestination. You know, where God, uh, uh, you know, you have, a, you have a sinful thought come into your hand, uh, into your head. Jonathan Edwards said, if you have a sinful thought in your head, God puts it there. Every thought, every feeling, every emotion, uh, every uh, leaf that falls off of a tree, God controls where that leaf will land. That's called absolute double predestination. Well, that makes God the author of sin, doesn't it? Uh, some of them, some of those theologians teach, well, God uh, causes sin sinlessly. That sounds like insanity, doesn't it? How can, how can God be the author of sin sinlessly? Uh, that, that sounds like an a, a idiot talking. Now, God doesn't put sinful thoughts in your head. I like to use the term the self-limiting providence of God. You see, God's in control. And God's purposes will be fulfilled. If you go out and sin, God didn't cause you to go out and sin. God's providence is self-limiting. Now, he can, he can control everything, but he limits his providence. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. If, God's, if absolute double predestination is true, then why would God have for us to pray for his will to be done on earth? If God's in absolute control, God's will is already being done, isn't it? No, God's providence is self-limiting. He will let sinful men sin if they want to sin. And uh, he set his universe in motion. Uh, God doesn't worry about that leaf where it's going to land on the ground. <laughs> uh, he, I don't think he concerns himself with things like that. His providence is it's in control, but it's self-limiting. All right. The king commanded, verse 16. Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. <laughs> and the stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet. Verse 18, then the king went to his palace, passed the night without sleep. Verse 19, then the king arose very early in the morning. Has a great sense of urgency, does he not? And went in haste under the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice <laughs> unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? That was a rhetorical question. Now, a rhetorical question is one you already know the answer to, right? He knew that. Look at verse 21. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. You see, this man's a man of an excellent spirit. He could have been very resentful of the king, couldn't he? But here we see he treats him with great, uh, great respect. And we, as God, we need to have an excellent spirit. We need, to have a, we need to be people of kindness and good manners and etiquette and know how to negotiate life in a way that we're kind and loving. And we see this excellent spirit in Daniel here. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. <laughs> For as much as before him, innocency was found in me 
as far as I know, there's nothing between. God is able to bless and deliver because of my own, the purity of my life. <laughs> there's no sin in my life. In one sense, no secret sin was found in me. And before thee, O king, I've done no hurt. Very, very important that we know how to live this life and how to, when we how to deal with our employer, we don't want to hurt that company or that business we work for. They want to be a, we want to be an asset. We want to be a blessing. We, want, we ought to be useful. If I, if I work for somebody, I want that business to prosper because of me. <laughs> I want to be useful. I had a friend that took over one of these uh, radio shacks. Or, or, no, it was a private business. It wasn't Radio Shack. Or maybe it was. <laughs> maybe he owned it. I don't know if they franchised it or what. But anyhow, uh, this friend of mine uh, went to work for him. This man had never taken a vacation in years because he never trusted anybody to run his business. <laughs> and uh, my friend won his confidence, and uh, he, he actually was willing to take a vacation because uh, my friend took over that business and made it so, so prosperous for him. I'm such a blessing. Uh, but he had a wonderful testimony. And, uh, but uh, that's the way we ought to be. Well, we see this in Daniel. He, just, he was a blessing. He prospered the kingdom because of his excellent spirit and his wisdom and prudence and good judgment and so on. Uh, verse 23, Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him. <laughs> Remember the three Hebrew children? Didn't even have the smell of smoke on their clothes, did they? Uh, their hair wasn't singed. Their eyebrows weren't singed. Uh, God's protection was perfect. If you read church history, I think I've shared this with you before. It's amazing how many times that when the, many of the people of God are martyred or tortured or persecuted, how God often intervenes and they feel absolutely no pain at all. <laughs> when those Puritans whipped Obadiah Holmes there in Boston Square, Boston Commons in 1650, 51, I believe it was, uh, they, 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 uh, those Puritans struck him 30 times with a threefold cord. Basically, lacerated his back open, bleeding, bleeding. His great crime was, was anabaptistry. He believed that you shouldn't baptize babies. And so those Puritans, Puritans whipped him with it almost, they think they tried to kill him. John Cotton had preached a message right before the whipping. John Cotton says that to deny infant baptism is sole murder. You're murdering the infants of these Baptists, uh, these uh, babies, if you don't baptize them. Sounds like he taught baptism regeneration, doesn't it? Well, uh, just a little bit, in, uh, much, just a few minutes later, they uh, took Obadiah Holmes and tied him up, and they whipped him 30 times with a threefold cord. Actually, they're whipping him 90 times. That's a violation of the Old Testament law. You're supposed to whip people 39 times, right? But they almost killed him. And they think uh, that maybe they were trying to kill him because of maybe being motivated by John Cotton's sermon. That denying infant baptism, he was basically guilty, and to use Cotton's phrase, the soul murder. <laughs> soul murder. He's a soul murderer. To deny, the infant, to deny infant baptism is to murder the soul of infants. But uh, he's taken up out of the den there in verse 23. So Daniel was taken up. No manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel. And they cast them into the den of lions. Uh, 
them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and break their bones in pieces or wherever they came at the bottom of the den. And by the way, that'd be an answer to some of these liberals. Some say, well, those lions were so old and toothless, they couldn't, uh, they couldn't uh, uh, harm Daniel if they wanted to. Well, this pretty much refutes that, <laughs> does it not? Uh, these lions, uh, they, the impression is they sort of dropped these people over in the top of the, uh, the lions then. And before they even hit the ground, uh, these lions were already on them and uh, crushing them and eating them and whatever lions do to people. But uh, look at verse 25. Then the king, Darius, wrote unto... All, now watch this. Out of this now is going to come a wonderful testimony over the whole empire. Because of Daniel's conviction, his willingness to die for what he believed, in one sense, the gospel is going to be spread over the whole empire. Watch this decree that Darius signs and sends over the whole empire, glorifying the God of Daniel. It says, Then Darius wrote unto all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. That's pretty wide, is it not? Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. This sounds like a regenerate mind, does it not? You to fear the word of God. Fear this God. <laughs> now look what else he says. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom that which uh, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be uh, even unto the end. That's uh, that sounds like faith in God, doesn't it? Would it is it possible that it could be saving faith? <laughs> Good possibility on that. He delivereth. Look what else Darius says about this God. He delivereth and rescueth. And worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now this last verse is another argument why I believe Darius and uh, Cyrus are two different people. It talks about Darius, Darius the Mede and then Cyrus is the Persian. But I guess that's not important in one sense. Well, any questions about anything? Any comments? All right. Well, everyone's learned well, looks like. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's all pray and we'll be dismissed. Our Father God, we're thankful for uh, this precious word and this precious testimony of Daniel. And uh, Father, we just pray you might help us, Father God, indeed, to have an excellent spirit and have an excellent testimony uh, before the world. And Father God, bless the preaching this, afternoon, uh, this morning. I'll be with the pastor. Give him liberty. And we just pray that thy spirit might bring conviction of sin and of righteousness and the terrible judgment to come that we might see uh, some saved today. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.